Welcome to the WFNY Cornercast, brought to you by the Evergreen Podcast Network and part of the, uh, I like to call it burgeoning, WFNY Network of Podcasts. I am your host, Joe Gerbs Gerberry, alongside uh, Ethan Varness and Mitchell Crawl. You guys, there was a brief moment I thought about renaming this the WFNY Quancast. Uh, despite all three of us being on uh, on the Quan train to start the year, thought better of it. How are you guys doing today? Would you be okay with the Quancast? Well, I'm firmly off the Quancast. He went hitless today, so I'm out. It's over. I'm, I get it. Done I, thought, I thought he was going to break Dimashio's hit streak. It really felt had, that way. He had, a, he had a swing and miss. He didn't get a hit today. It's over. It's toast. I guess he done. is human. He's only fourth in F War. Oh, no. He's human. <laughs> no, but no. seriously, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, obviously, like, he has been incredible, and this is like beyond. You know, you mentioned that all of us have been in the Quan train, and this is beyond anyone's wildest expectations. No one, no one could have expected this, and it's partially, um, you know, I think it, partially it's just like randomness, as he pointed out um, when when our uh, friend of the pod Zach Meisel asked him, uh, you know, wh- why? What do you attribute this to? He literally was like, "This is random variance. Like, I'll yeah, barrel up five uh, outs tomorrow." Uh, and you know, that is a man after my heart, uh, because that's exactly, exactly correct. But no, he is, um, he is showing like what made him special and what, what we believed in, uh, you know, to the absolute extreme. Yeah, for sure. I, uh, I titled this pod, this, uh, episode of the podcast, a conversation, uh, just, he's been, like I said, he's been absolutely, uh, I, I, I think he's obviously been incredible. Um, what do you guys think is his possible ceiling? Is this his? Is this his ceiling? What percentage of his ceiling are we seeing? If that makes sense, like if there does he have what level higher can he possibly do at this point? Ooh. Ethan, Mitch, what do you want to? I just want to. He, he's not going to continue to hit this this clip. Like right, his peak is not like a like a two fifty WRC plus or whatever. That's insane. Um, so obviously this is not his peak. He's he's going to be worse than this. Sorry, Ethan, go ahead. We have to be kind of careful when we have, we have the the conversation about ceilings because, like Mitchell said, obviously he's not going to continue to hit over. Well, I'm assuming it's below six hundred now after an over four today, but. Regardless, you know, he's he's probably going to be around a high 290s, close to 300 hitter, if we're to believe that he is this elite strike zone awareness, hand-eye coordinated contact hitter that he is advertised and is showing himself to be. Um, you know, if I had to quantify it, no pun intended, nah. Nah. I think this is probably about 80% of his ceiling because I'm starting to be in the camp seeing some of the weak contact that he makes, some of the slap hits that happens, Mm -hmm. that I'm just not sure if the power is ever going to develop. So I say 80, hoping that maybe something comes of that. Maybe he can be on a good year, maybe a 15 home run a year guy. But with what he's shown us so far and what he could continue to be in this two-hole, I would not want to sacrifice any of the contact for more power. Mm -hmm. 
And the thing yeah, we're also I'm... talking about too, um, real quick, uh, we're, I, I'm asking about his ceiling, but the contact being there, the floor is so much higher than some of these other guys that we're, that we are, will talk about that. We're the other guys that we're seeing that are, you know, the, your men Mercedes that we see that we saw last year, the floor on him was the error bar was so high and so high variance. The floor on Quan is so much higher to what his ceiling could be with that contact ability, with the approach of the plate, the ability to square up um, almost anything. I mean, at least get some kind of contact on it and, uh, and, and ruin, spoil out some pitches. Um, that's that floor is so much higher than other guys that we've seen that have started out this hot that uh, um, that's what's, that's what's more encouraging to me than anything um, more than what he could possibly be. It's really what, uh, what we're seeing as the floor. Go ahead, Mitch. I cut you off. No, you're good. Uh, yeah. Like, you know, I've heard people on, you know, certain fancy podcasts or whatever say like, Oh, you know, I'm cautious. You know, we had your mean Mercedes last year. There's famously Chris Shelton in when I think 2012 or something like that for the Tigers, just like going off for a month and then you never hear about him again. Uh, but yeah, like you're saying, like the floor, it, it feels like this, that, that Quan can be a professional hitter. Like we're not seeing anything um, or, or, Obviously, the Babbitt's fluky right now, but the underlying stats don't seem – not the underlying stats. The underlying uh, skills don't seem fluky, right? Like, he right. has been laying off close pitches, and we can expect him to continue to do so. And, uh, you know, I think that is something that could potentially separate him from guys like Luis Arise or um, Nick Madrigal is that, you know, we could be looking at not just elite contact rate, but elite walk rate kind of situation – um, because he is so able to, uh, uh, he's so able to lay off close pitches. Now, the last bit of that would be that power developing uh, to you know force uh, pitchers to be careful in the zone with him as well. And we've seen him turn on a few pitches. Uh, he hit that double uh, over uh, right fielder's head in Kansas City, um, and he you know he is prone to pull. Uh, he hit the triple as well down the line. Um, yeah, and, and so he can turn a pitch. We haven't seen him barrel one up. We haven't seen him hit one real hard yet. But, you know, you can see that you can you can dream on it. Like it it you can imagine it. Um so I'm hopeful that, you know, he can be this, you know, you know, three hundred hitter with, you know, cl- you know, a really above average on base percentage. I think, you know, depending on your uh project projection system somewhere between, you know, three sixty and three seventy five. Uh, I think is realistic, and and that and that's a that's an amazing hitter to to be in between Miles Straw and Jose Ramirez. Yeah, it does a ton for the top of the lineup, and I actually just did some math on this one because I was really curious. You know, we the, the team already had Miles Straw and Jose Ramirez, who are regarded both as on base machines, two of the most patient hitters out there, and professional hitters all around. Granted, Straw hits around 265, 270 most of the time, but that's also a byproduct of weak power. He hits into a lot of grounders or doesn't get balls out of the park all that often. But the three of them together through six games so far, Cleveland's new top third of the order is its own three-headed monster. These three combined are slashing 449, 546, 
1,275. That is a triple slash of just those three and six games. And they are averaging 4.58 pitches per plate appearance, which is just nightmare fuel for opposing arms. Yeah, and that's the number that seems like sustainable, right? Guy, you know, they're going to work the count. They're going to foul tough pitches off. They're going to take close balls. And that's, I think, what you're alluding to. Like, even as the BABIP goes down and as Jose Ramirez, you know, doesn't hit, you know, what seems like a home run every game now, um, you know, that peskiness is going to consist. Right. We saw it today uh, with um, Lodolo. Lodolo. I'm not. Yeah, Lodolo. Um, I mean, he was at 44 pitches or something like that before even getting through the second inning, which is just crazy high. Um, last two games, bo- uh, both starting pitchers really haven't been. Eight. I, and I know we're early on in the season, so nobody's really stretched out. But these guys are are getting through and getting into bullpens and, and really getting the, the innings up on these bullpens. Um, I think that's kind of what we saw at the end of Kansas City. Um, yeah, they got to Bubich so early on Saturday. Um, on Sunday, I can't remember which one Bubich was. But uh, stand, the point remains, they were able to, at the end of the series, you know, your relievers are already pitching back-to-back days, multiple innings. These guys are, are worn out by the time they're uh, near the end. And uh, that could be contributing to some of these end-of-series um big run producers that we've seen already. I mean, it, it, I know it's early still, but uh, that's a, that's a possibility. So, yeah. Um, I, I mean, one, to, go ahead. Yeah. One, one last thing about that. Like it's the beginning of the season. It's a long season. They're not going to continue it this well, but it feels like a long time that they've even had like a four game output like this, right? Like, do we remember mm-hmm. anything from like this from last year where they scored 45 runs or something in four games? It's like, feels like it's been a few years. It felt like there were longer stretches last year of, are they going to score a run in four games? So this yeah. is very much a pleasant change of pace. Yeah. Remember the no hitters? Like, like last year we were like contending with, are they going to get no hit again tonight? And like, again, they're not going to score 10 runs every day, but like the fact that they have scored 10 runs three times already is, you know, promising. Looking for something. I'm just hoping you guys were gonna vamp just a little bit more. I know oh yeah, Bodie I can, had, I can vamp. <laughs> Bodie had put a <laughs> um, a stat in our Discord, and I should have checked it, and I do not remember where it was. Now I cannot find it, but it no, was something okay. like um, we had uh, we the 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 Guardians had some ridiculously low number of uh, games with. So many with the with ten plus runs um, in twenty twenty one, and they've already almost eclipsed that number just in these this early going um, of the season in twenty twenty two. I'll pull that up. Thank but, you. Uh, no, anyway, uh, it is it, it, Jose Ramirez has just been like lost in the shuffle, lost in the Quan shuffle. Has been Jose Ramirez basically like seemingly doing something different this year and you know, maybe somehow leveling up even more. Um, He hit an opposite field home run today as a right-handed hitter. Um, And we had, you know, gone through this in the, in the discord on the private side. Um, And 
I think if you're just very generous and, and do center field home runs and opposite field home runs, in Jose Ramirez's entire career before today, he had 17. And we're talking about someone with, you know, 166 career home runs, and only 17 of them are to the opposite field or to center field. Um, and then if you look at his, his pull uh, rates this year, Again, we're looking at a really small sample size, but he's all the way down at 31.6%, uh, which, you know, last year he was at uh, above 56%. So and the year before that, 52%. You know, you know, he, it's looking like he is okay with, like, using all fields and, 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 and jumping on pitches when he can, but, but also going with pitch. And that's a, that's a fun Jose Ramirez. Josh texted me uh, in there, uh, DM'd me the tweet that Bodie had. 2021 Cleveland Indians scored at least 10 runs in only one of their first 55 games. This year, they've scored 10 run, at least 10 runs in three of their first five games. So, three times as many times they've done that, and just in uh, quite a few, uh, quite uh, quite a few less games. Um, you were saying with uh, Jose producing and not pulling the ball as much. Um, we definitely have seen him uh, doing that. We have other guys that are also producing right now that are not named Steve Kwan. Um, we've been mentioning Owen Miller as uh, near or uh, close to the top of the F4 rankings. Um, what is it? You uh, were saying his, is his BAP the, the one that was high, Mitch? I can't remember what you were saying right before that <laughs> yeah, he got knocked just... out of... Uh, yeah, he's higher than uh he's higher than Quan now, which is kind of funny because you know Quan was bad, being like eight hundred to start the season, right? But um, Ethan, what is it about Owen Miller's uh, start that is really um, intriguing so far that uh, that might um, point to this being a uh, sustained success? So I'm not completely sure it's sustainable with Owen Miller. This is a very, very welcome sight to see. He was called up as quite possibly the hottest hitter on the planet last season and then felt like he was only playing maybe twice a week, and that just absolutely killed his momentum. But he's gotten, what is this, three straight starts now? I believe so, At yes. least. Um, and you're, you're finally getting that contact that was advertised that he really showed in the minors, you know, as uh, – as the years went by in the minors, he was a 335 hitter, 336, 290, 297 in AAA last year, and then 204 in the majors. But now he's hitting 500, and his slugging percentage is over 800. The thing with Miller is that he'd had some strikeout issues, 25% in AAA last year, almost 27% in the majors. That number's down to 11.8% this season. That's the part to me that I'm watching to figure out if this is going to be sustainable, whether Chris Vallega hasn't had enough time with these guys to really get to know them, to start influencing all them, influencing them all that much, other than being in their ear to be patient, take more pitches. That seems to be the MO of the entire team this year. Mm -hmm. So other than listening to that advice and getting pitches that he likes to hit, it, it's to be determined how long you can keep this pace up and we're just going to have to watch that K rate and see if that starts spiking again. Yeah. We're looking at, I mean, he has a slugging percentage of eight thirteen right now on a 500 <laughs> batting average. I mean, it's ridiculous numbers as much as anybody 281 WRC plus. Um, 
though, as much as we would love for this to be sustainable and see through there, there are, as you said, there are some facets that could be, um, poking through and that's even that I'm pointing out his numbers on fan graphs. That's before they haven't, don't have anything reported today and he had two home runs. So those numbers are going to be even higher. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, on top of Owen Miller, 1,048 is his new slugging percentage. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> well, so all these yeah. obviously, like we're having fun with small sample sizes, and these are going to go down. Right. But like this just goes to show like how hot this team is that there are like multiple guys who are slugging over 700. Uh, you know that that you know that just did not feel not feel possible coming into the season, right? Like that they were going to start off this hot. There was so much negativity surrounding this offseason, this offense. Oh, they didn't get Nick Castellano. So, you know, why haven't they signed Michael Conforto yet? And it's like, you know, like they're, the whole point last year, and I think it was kind of a failure, was to like figure out who, who this team had. Uh, and now we're seeing it, and it's like, holy crap, like maybe this team has some guys. And, and maybe Owen Miller isn't a guy. But maybe he is. He's certainly not, you know, he certainly hasn't showed so far this season that he's not a guy, right? And, um, you know, Ethan, you mentioned the contact. You know, he we had been sold a line drive machine spraying liners to the gaps all over the field. And he came up and he was swinging and missing a lot. And he, for the whole year, his contact rate was about league average. Uh, this year so far... Uh, he is making contact with uh, over ninety percent of the over ninety percent of his swings, which is again tiny sample size, but that is you know up there with the straws and the and the quans of the world too. Uh, so that's just exciting, and that and that kind of just gives you a peek into what this team is trying to do organizationally. Like just limit the swings and misses, just put the ball in play, hit line drives. The guys who can punish the ball, punish the ball. But the bare minimum is, hey, like, don't swing and miss. And we're seeing guys like Bobby Bradley and Yu Chang fall out of favor because that's exactly what they do do, swing and miss. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Right, and speaking of those guys, so um, another guy that we're that's on the other end that is struggling. Um, we'll we'll talk later about um, Bradley and Chang and, and where they might end up being. But the guys that are struggling, um, we're looking at Fran Mill. Really hasn't done uh, you know all this offensive explosion has been happening, and Fran Mill's just sitting there making some loud outs. Um, you know he's had three outs that have been over a uh, hundred on the. Uh, uh, exit velocity in the last, I think, two or three games. Um, I did not see uh, exactly those numbers, but I did know that uh, they were, or there was one today, it right, just nailing balls that are right at guys. Um, do you, what do you think is the, uh, the issue here with Fran Mill? Is he starting to, are the, are the cracks starting to show or is this just early variants? I know it's more likely early variants, is there anything that we can pull from this that he seems to be pressing or is there um, 
something that uh, we're looking at a little bit deeper here. So, in my opinion, he just looks completely lost at the plate. You know, we we heard all offseason that he was working with Juan Soto uh, training and working on his pitch recognition and trying to improve his patience. And it showed in the early parts of spring training. He looked pretty comfortable out there, but, you know, you can argue the quality of the arms that he was facing, all of that. But at the same time, he was taking pitches. He was laying off of the nasty sliders low and away from him, which is something that he's had a problem with early on this season so far. He's just swinging at absolutely everything right now at the plate. So you mentioned, you know, he's he's 89th percentile uh, in maximum exit velocity so far this year. Three of his loudest hits have been right at a second baseman, right at a shortstop. He had a dying coil hit to center field that would have scored two runs had Jake Fraley not made a nice sliding catch on it. But at, at, at the opposite side, he's bottom fifth percentile or worse, all three in expected WOBA barrel percentage and whiff rate. So he's just going up there and swinging at literally everything his way. It doesn't matter if it's junk. It doesn't matter if it's good. He's just not having a great April right now. Yeah, no, I'm I'm completely with you. Uh, the guy the guy is chasing, um, you know, and and that is against kind of what we've seen before. He's always been, you know, not the most disciplined hitter, but um, he's chasing more than he has in his career. And but the big thing right now is he's just swinging and missing way too much. Um, it, it, the the breaking balls, it's just I think what do you call it, Pedro Serrano itis? Pedro Serrano itis. Uh, yeah, that's exactly what he's got. He's uh, if you say, like it, the, if you say like, it faster, like the slugger. <laughs> say it, say it faster. If you say it faster, then it sounds like an actual thing, like Pedro Serenitis. Yeah, Serenitis. Yeah, yeah. That was actually a name of my uh, a classmate of my sister's. That's hilarious. I thought that guy anyway, was back at Ohio. Pedro Serrano <laughs> was a was a roommate of your sister. Yeah, crazy. Uh, no, um, he just he is not looking disciplined at the plate. I think, you know, you guys know I'm not the biggest uh, supporter um, of the takes of our of our beloved radio announcer, uh, or of all the takes. Uh, but I had to agree with his his take on, um, on Framiel Reyes. He's just looking like he's trying to crush everything. He's not uh, selective up there. He is getting sliders. Uh, they are not in the strike zone because why would they be? Uh, and he is not doing anything about it. Like the best thing for Framiel Reyes to be doing right now is to be taking pitches. And if he takes strike three, he takes strike three, but he should not be attacking. Yeah. Sounds, uh, sounds about right. There's a good, uh, uh, write that into Valleca. Give that to the, uh, hitting coach, but I'm sure he already knows. I, uh, I'm like genuinely curious what the, you know, the input of Chris Valleca is, um, because like, obviously it's been a week and like, I kind of almost regret bringing up the Jose Ramirez approach shift, maybe question mark. Uh, but like, it does feel like guys are just putting the ball all over the place, all over the field. And, you know, maybe that's just a product of the, the pitching they faced. Maybe that's just a product of playing Kansas city and Cincinnati, uh, two not very good pitching staffs. Uh, but they really have been spreading the ball all over the field, and that's not something we've seen from them in the past. The real test will be this weekend. San Francisco's no slouch, starting no. Friday downtown. Rodone, he of the the no hitter a year ago. 
against this very was he the Guardians seven inning one? Who was the seven inning one that doesn't that actually count? Tampa, I believe. Yeah, that was against okay. Tampa. Yeah, they had Rodone, Wade Miley, and who was the third one? There was definitely a third one. This is great. Great I mean, podcasting. This is, this is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another, the last guy I wanted to talk about uh, before we move on that are that is struggling right now. Um, Ethan, you wanted to mention uh, Austin Hedges and when exactly, you know, I mean, when he was brought into the organization, we knew that he was going to be a glove first catcher. Um, we have not seen that. We, we have seen that to this point. We, he definitely has been dazzling with the glove. He's had, I think, at least is he had he's had at least one that I know of that I remember seeing. Has he had two uh um pickoffs at second base so far this year, possibly. Um but his his defense and, and calling games is is paralleled. Um but uh his bat is just really is really bad right now. And um is it uh is there a possibility that we pulled a plug on this? You know, we the team, the team pulls the plug on this uh, and says, "Enough's enough. We need we need to get the bat out of your hand." Um, is there? Are we looking at that? It's coming up close. It feels like, but um, yeah, I, I, we're not sure what else is going to happen with the catcher spot right now. We're waiting on Luke Maley. We're waiting on Brian Lopsy to get something. Go ahead and talk, and I'll 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 take a water break here for a second. I was actually kind of surprised to see Hedges get the start today because it just felt like the team was going to lean in the direction of wanting maybe some more offensive output. And pairing McKenzie with Lavastida kind of made sense to me just from two young guys working together kind of standpoint. So, you know, I was kind of hoping to see Lava's name pop up in the lineup card today, and it didn't. But, you know, as, as luck would have it, Hedges went out there today and – drew two walks, I believe got hit by a pitch. So he doesn't have a, doesn't have a hit, hit by a pitch last night. I don't remember if he got last hit night. by a pitch okay. today. Okay. So he doesn't have a hit yet, but he's been on base four times this season through sheer luck. It would feel like at this point. So that's the question that we have to, to ask as fans right now is how long can you let this go? A, a, a guy who's a career below the Mendoza line hitter, how long can you let the pitch framing, the glove, the defense outweigh just having a hole in your lineup? I think he's under 170 for his career since joining Cleveland batting average. Now, I understand that when Maley comes back, uh, Lavastida is likely going to head down to AAA and get the playing time that he needs to, to polish and develop. And he's a converted catcher, so he still has a lot to learn as a receiver. But those numbers were pretty bright in Lake County when he spent an offseason working with a pitching staff that he was going to start the season with. And they kind of faded as he climbed the ladder last season. He was working with new arms, new staff, new coach. So you could give a little benefit of the doubt and some forgiveness there. But, you know, there may be a real conversation come the all-star break this season if Hedges is still hitting sub 200, but Lava is hitting 285 with a you know, 12% walk rate in Columbus, which is pretty close to what he did last season across three different levels. He only has seven games at AAA, and he's got one game in the majors now. He drew a walk, went over four and struck out once, but, you know, he's got more plate appearances than Bobby Bradley does. He's played one game. So 
it's it's a really delicate situation to be in right now and we've bemoaned the terrible shape that the 40-man roster is in and the inflexibility that that represents so until Luke Maley gets healthy and plays some games with his squad and can hopefully provide some extra offense from likely that nine hole or maybe the eight hole. I know Terry Francona likes to have his pseudo leadoff guys in the nine spot if he can. Um, you know, it's it's just going to be a matter of is he so valuable to the pitching staff from that side of things that you can just run eight hitters four days a week. It's an interesting philosophical question. Like, if you had the greatest, like, this is the closest we've ever gotten to maybe this, like, ideal of, like, if you had the greatest defensive catcher of all time who is an automatic out, like, would this be a good player or a bad player? And, like, this is kind of, like, I obviously, Hedges isn't the greatest defensive catcher of all time, and obviously he is an automatic out, but we're kind of close to both those things. He is elite. He is elite defensively. And there's no doubt uh, that he is a great defensive catcher in ways that are measurable. And and I have no doubt that he's a great defensive catcher in ways that are immeasurable, the way he, you know, handles a pitching staff, calls pitches. Um, you know, I feel like if I were a pitcher, I would feel safe in Austin Hedges' hands, right? Like, he just, ha- he has like this very, like, generous attitude and like, just so cheerful and you know I, I i think he is exactly who you'd want to throw to as a pitcher but at the same time he's exactly who the opposing pitcher wants to throw to too uh so like where do you draw the line it's uh it's gonna be interesting to see i like you ethan see them sending lobstita down and uh hopefully he makes this a tough decision for them hopefully he rakes in triple a like he did in single and double a last year and uh you know it's an embarrassment of riches instead of just an embarrassment at the plate. And that's going to be the theme for the season too, is who's going to force the club's hand? Who's going to make it so inexcusable that they're not getting plate appearances at the major league level over some of the guys that are already here. So Lavastita is definitely going to be in that boat, but it's just a matter of when they send him down, which will likely come in May when the rosters uh, contract back to 26 players rather than 28. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's uh it's Lavastida and Pilkington seem like an obvious two to go down. Although Naley comes back, uh, you know we'll see Naylor too. We'll we'll figure out all the roster mechanics. Yeah, there hasn't really been word on Naley. Uh, we were um, the one guy that we the only guy that I remember actually hearing a any kind of a timeline on was Josh Naylor, and uh, that brings us to our next section. Um, there was reports that he is going to be back up with the team. Um, possibly as early as this Friday. Uh, unfortunately, he, because of his gruesome injury last year, uh, was uh, put on the 60-man, removing him from the 40-man roster. Um, so his call-up would uh, necessitate someone being removed from it, um, and they don't really have any back-end um, moves that they can make of getting any of these guys, you know, moving them to the 60-day DL or anything like that. So that basically means that somebody from the um, either the top high end of the Columbus roster or someone on um, Cleveland's uh, major league roster is going to get uh, designated for assignment. Mm-hmm. Uh, who do you guys think that is at this point? The the, the ones that we look at, um, we've been talking about, have been Bobby Bradley, have been um, Yu Chang. 
there's really those are the two that um, play first base. I mean, Bradley's a first base only. Um, would be a DH on a team that doesn't have uh, Fran Reyes. Uh, Yu Chang can do a little bit of pretty much everything on the infield, at least. Um, I don't know if he's ever played the outfield, but um, those are the two that haven't really played uh, much over the last couple of games. I don't even remember the last time you was in a game. Uh, Bradley, I think, has been out for the last three three and play and and pinch hit once. I think possibly late in the the seventeen run game. But who do you think, Ethan, is the uh, the the one likely gone? If and when Naylor comes back, uh, what looks like this weekend? You hit on the two likeliest ones in Yu Chang and Bobby Bradley. And Connor Pilkington's even a possibility. He's on the 28 man. He's out in the bullpen. He's yet to pitch. Um, so it, it comes down to, like you said, Naylor has to come off the 60 day DL, which means there are now 41 players on the 40 man roster. So I doubt the club wants to take the risk of putting Pilkington on waivers just to send him back down to AAA. So the obvious answer in my mind is Bobby Bradley. When I mentioned Lavastida a moment ago, I said he's played one game and he has more plate appearances than Bobby Bradley. And I think that speaks volumes. The, the way the team is going, being this contact-centric, high-pitch count, high-pitch-taking team there's just not room for these big swing and miss three true outcomes hitters like bobby bradley so when you can bring in a first baseman slash right fielder like naylor that can give you some flexibility moving around Ahmed rosario owen miller you know you you could put rosario in left you can put naylor in right uh owen miller can stay at first or he can go to second base and put andres at shortstop with ahmed in left while naylor plays first it, it's just he provides so much more flexibility and the team's very high on him. So I think Bobby Bradley is probably the only choice. And I would expect we're probably going to hear something about that tomorrow. Yeah. I, um, I wish there was, I wish we lived in a baseball world these days where there was a role for a Bobby Bradley type kind of in like the Matt stairs role or the John Krupp role who could, you know, come off the, the bench once a game or every other day and, you know, take a big at bat in place of your, you know, weak hitting second baseman or whatever, or your, or your Austin hedges of the world. Um, you're, you're describing national league baseball before 2022. Well, what I'm describing is major league baseball before every team decided they need to have like a million pitchers. Right. <laughs> but yeah, the, yeah. Double, the double, the double switch was good to John Crook. Yeah, it was. It was, but the, the Guardians have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, fifteen pitchers on their twenty-eight man roster right now. Like fifteen pitchers on the twenty-eight man roster. Uh, yeah, that you know, there's no room for for a pinch hitter who bats right. once every other game. Um, so yeah, sadly, Bobby Bradley, he's gonna be the guy. Um. It, it, the the roster doesn't shrink from 28 to 26 until May 1st. So, you know, that's something that they've got a, a few more, t- uh, you know, a couple of weeks to decide. Uh, but right now it seems like, um, you know, there's an obvious spot where there's playing time available, i.e. first base, especially if Owen Miller uh, hops over to second. I was going to say, um, is, there a, is there a spot for him? Because that was going to be my next question to you, uh, Mitch, was 
where is Naylor going to get his at bats? Um, because it, right now we we've already talked about Owen Miller being on this hot start, and then and the team has said they're wanting to ride these hot hands. The other spot that Naylor can play and has played is right field, which leads to the Oscar Mercado conversation. Um, you know, who's basically only hitting extra base hits. I think he, he I think he legitimately only has extra base hits on the season so far yeah. this year. Um, so uh, yeah. what do you, what do you think about Mercado? Mercado? Is there a spot, uh, you know, is there, uh, obviously none of these guys are going to hit this hot. We, we keep saying it, it isn't, it is a, a given that these guys aren't going to say this hot, but is, is there a spot for Naylor and, and are you going to take the bat away from Mercado at this point? Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, you know, it, it, there's just one too many guys, right? Because you've got right. um, Ahmed Rosario and Andres Jimenez duking it out for shortstop. Um, and then on, it seems like Andres uh, Jimenez getting the short end of that stick, going to second base, where Owen Miller would have to be. Um, so, you know, maybe we see an Owen Miller-Andres Jimenez platoon at second base, which is like kind of, you know, nausea-inducing. Like, I'd rather not. You can, uh, but, you can squint and see it, but yeah. Well, they're just both hitting pretty well right now, and you want to give them both full-time at-bats. I mean, the obvious answer is they need to trade Ahmed Rosario. We've been saying it for months now. Uh, he doesn't have a long-term future on this team, so why should he have a short-term future on this team? Um, everyone else is a long-term asset except him. Um, so it just makes sense to to kind of clear, clear the air of Ahmed Rosario. Some... some you know, contending team with a hole at shortstop or, you know, some rebuilding team that needs some warm bodies for the next couple of years could go for him. I'm talking about Oakland, of course, um, you know, in the invariable Sean Murphy trade. Um, but um, yeah, no, you're right. There is just one too many guys hitting right now for, for Naylor. Um, and you bring up Mercado and Mercado has like, it's crazy how different he looks this year so far. Uh, everything's a small sample size. It, everything that we mentioned trend-wise is just something to keep tabs on. Like we'll see, we'll see if the stuff continues. Uh, but I think what really, you know, jumped out at me when I was looking at uh, Mercado's Fangraphs page is just his approach this year has been wildly more aggressive than it has been in past years. Um, you know, in the past he has swung at. Um, 50 or a shade under 50% of pitches in this year. He's all the way up almost at 60. Um, and he is chasing an extraordinarily high amount of pitches, um, almost 42% of pitches out of the zone he's swinging at. Uh, but in the zone, 80% of pitches he's swinging at. And that is almost like uh, there's a certain shortstop for the, the White Sox who in 2021 – uh, swung at 40% of pitches out of the strike zone and 82% in the strike zone. Uh, Tim Anderson, uh, famous uh, famous point of comparison for TJ Zuppi and Ahmed Rosario, TJ Anderson. Um, <laughs> if if Oscar Mercado, um, you know, really does have this approach where he is just extremely aggressive, every pitch that he thinks he has a chance of driving, he is swinging at. Um, it's kind of working and like it might continue to work. And I mean, you have to ride it out and see what happens. Like he has no options left. So um, 
you know, you were, we were thinking in the beginning of the year, ah, this is Mercado's last chance. Um, and if it is, he's really making the most of it. He's doing his best Tim Anderson impression one weekend season. What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes? On Press Box Access, you'll hear from me, Todd Jones, and other sports writers about their experiences with the greatest athletes, coaches, and sports events of the past half century. We'll share some stories behind the stories, some big, some small, and some we've only told each other. Let us buy you around on Press Box Access. He's he's definitely uh, bolstering the the possible return that we could get on a uh, DFA trade that's going to happen eventually at some point in the f- near future for him. So, Ethan, any any comment any uh, comments or anything on that on uh, Naylor's playing time on Oscar on uh, Sean Murphy and Mitch's love for uh, the hit by pitch gift that happened over the uh, weekend. As much as I want to talk about Sean Murphy's badonkadonk, uh, I'm actually going to take the contrarian <laughs> approach here on Oscar. I know the team wants to ride these hot hands, but just because Oscar's five hits, he's run into extra bases, hasn't really justified having him be an everyday player in my mind. He's five for 25 on the year. Not great. The fact that those five hits are a double, a triple, and three home runs, and all five hits have generated RBIs, just happens to be good. But he's also struck out seven times, as Mitchell pointed out, his extra aggressiveness, which is not something I necessarily think he needs to add. I think there's a role for him on this team, a platoon starter against left-handed batters. He's got a career 255 batting average against lefties, which is up from his sub 230 against righties. It's not that there isn't a role for him on this team. I think there's more to him than there was for Bradley Zimmer on this squad. So I think platooning Mercado against lefties opens up the door for Naylor to be a nearly everyday first baseman, which puts his bat in the lineup. You can shift Owen Miller to second base. You can put Jimenez. Oh my God. I almost said Chris Jimenez. You can put Andres Jimenez at shortstop more consistently until, you know, like we suspect, we think that maybe he's just keeping that seat warm for Gabriel Arias. If he continues to play well, triple a, like he started to. So I'm, I'm just going to have to go the opposite direction on Oscar. I think it's more luck that the five hits he's run into just have been valuable hits. I don't think it's sustainable. Well, I, I'm i not like confident it's sustainable or anything. <laughs> I just think like, you know, this is... No, you're an Oscar Mercado stand now. That's what we've, <laughs> that's what we've established. And uh, I think I've been... Did I miss the Oscar Mercado butt gif? What, what's going on here? What did you see? <laughs> Hey, I was at I was way into Sean Murphy way before it was cool, man. Um, no, I I think it's just hard to it's hard to take a guy out of the lineup when you know he is barreling the ball up in a way that we haven't seen before. He's um, you know he's hitting the ball into the air a lot, which like I know like launch angle is a thing that everyone like all the that nerd haters like to say ooh launch angle, but. You know, it, in the past, when Oscar Mercado's hit the ball hard, it has been directly into the ground. And these last few games, he has hit the ball in the air, and he has hit it hard, and he has done it a lot. Um, and that is a recipe for a guy like him 
to be successful? Like, can you figure out what pitches you can drive and have an approach to get to those? And in five games in the season or whatever, he has had that. So I just, I worry about, uh, it's not just taking about the, taking the hot hand um, or taking the hot bat out of the lineup, but it's like, if he did indeed make an approach change, if something really has changed this year, um, you know, we're never going to know if he, if he stops playing. Um, so they, they have a bit of a tricky situation on their hands. Like where, where are all these guys going to bat? We can see like the first guy that goes over two gets pinch hit for, is that how it's going to work out? And it's right in the hot hand. Right. I mean, that's, that's what, that's what the team has said they're going to do. It, it remains to be seen that, that that's actually what they are going to continue to do over the season, but, um, that's what they've, uh, said. So I don't know. I did that. Well, you're out. So sorry, bud. You went over two. Them's the rules. Like, I guess next that's guy up. Steven Kwan. Tito, <laughs> <laughs> he, he caught it over the fence. I don't know what to tell you. Like, well, you shouldn't have struck out in the first inning. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, that's you right. got to sit that's on right. the bench now. Like, hit it hit it three feet over. <laughs> right. Go talk to Sandy. Figure it out. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I... Who knows with Naylor? I am I I have to admit I am excited if he is uh, back this weekend. I've long loved uh, his his contact ability, and um, I hope that there's uh, uh, some of this that uh, rubs off the the patience at the plate that rubs off on on him and uh, and works a little bit more because that's something that we haven't really seen from him. The the contact is there but the the patience hasn't really been he's been very uh struck out prone and and um and and not so much walk as much as, as he should be with someone that has the uh pitch recognition that Naylor does so um i do think that he's more of a complete player though than and than oscar and, and um and even owen miller um and we have uh, more control over him. The, the team has more control over him for a longer time. So, um, but let's uh, let's finish up looking at the this weekend series since Naylor could be back. Um, we have uh, they have San Francisco coming into town. Uh, you mentioned uh, Rodon coming in uh, playing against Plezac on Friday for the home opener. Cal Quantrill versus uh, Discalafani. And then Aaron Savale is getting the start on Sunday versus Alex Wood. Um, any of those pitching uh, matchups? Point uh, big to you. You point out Rodon had the one of the no hitters on us last year, so he obviously knows the team. Uh, but correspondingly, the team might know him a little bit more from seeing him with the White Sox last year. Um, do you put any weight in those stats? Do you put anything in the, in that uh, any anybody that you're interested in seeing come into from San Francisco that uh, team that we can look at uh, over the weekend. Either way, Mitch, you're going to go Ethan, okay. Ethan okay. Okay. you. Okay. Ethan, Mitch, you right. take right. it. Sorry. It was right. a jump ball and neither of you jumped. I didn't tell you that was my fault. <laughs> Apparently we need to be told when to talk. Um, <laughs> no, we need to be aggressive. Uh, no, I'm, you know, the giants are such a, 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 an enigma who knows with them and like, Rodone in his first start looked incredible. Uh, I think he struck out 12. Um, you know, hopefully he didn't, you know, I hopefully he doesn't that. repeat that performance. 
Was that? Am I saying his name wrong? I always says Rodon. Maybe it's Rodon. I always say Rodon. It's probably Rodon. You're probably right. Um, we'll never know. Regardless, um, yeah, no, he he dominated in his first start. It's it's going to be interesting, man. I uh, I'm kind of lower on this pitching staff than I think most people are. Um, I'm worried about the swings and misses. Like this first time through the order or through the rotation. You know, McKenzie got a ton of whiffs today. Actually, Eli Morgan got a ton of whiffs today, and and Bieber got a ton yesterday. Um, but you know, Quantrill, Savali, and Plesac, none of those guys are are getting guys to swing and miss. And and maybe that's just an early season over reliance on the fastball, or you know, they're they're not fully up to snuff in terms of their their mid season form and stuff. Uh, but it is kind of concerning to see. Oh, this guy's averaging three point eight six strikeouts per nine innings, and you know he's doing well on the back of a of a low BABIP and in a high strand rate, um, or that that's how he succeeded in the past game. It's only been one game. Got to be careful about that. Uh, but uh, yeah, I I just I'd like to see these guys uh, get some more swings and misses. That's what I'll be looking for. Uh, with Plesak, you know, I'm a big believer in his slider. I think uh, he needs to uh, really rely on that pitch. He needs to have confidence in that pitch and, and be able to locate it where he wants to, uh, like he was in 2020, if he wants to regain that form. Um, other than that, that that I think the big one for me is Plesak, uh, Plesak Rodon, because we have such an idea of what to look for. What do you think, Ethan? I'm going to be looking at that Savali matchup. Um, not really for the fact that I think Aaron Savale and Alex Wood are comparable pitchers, but in my mind, Savale is the only one the first time rotation that really had the, the subpar start. I know Quantrill gave up a couple of runs, but aside from one inning, he looked really sharp. Bieber, albeit still down a tick uh, with the fastball velocity to start the year, which I think is really just a ramping up thing because the knuckle curve velocity is there. Everything else is there. I'm not overly concerned about him in the month of April. So Savale going out there, hopefully the defense behind him getting their act together. We're, we're talking about a sinker baller who, who had absolutely no help from his infield defense behind him uh, when he made his start in Kansas City. So I'm just going to be looking for him to – do better than what was it three and a third three and two thirds and just get a bunch of these san francisco giants batters to just pound it right into the dirt right into whoever's playing shortstop yeah we uh we've had long talks about ahmed not being the guy and his defense at short one and during savali's start was uh was pretty pretty awful <laughs> um there were definitely some times where it looked like he was uh new at starting uh playing the position a little bit but that's left field that he's supposed to be new at. Um, one more thing that we wanted that I wanted to point out, uh, just think about news and notes. Uh, Tristan, you mentioned Eli was pitching a little bit faster. Um, Tristan was able to get a little bit more uh, velo going on his uh, fastball today. He was sitting like 94, reaching 95, 96. That's great to see out of him. Um, we've talked about uh, his uh, extension, those uh, long arms, uh, pitching 96 with his release point. It's got to come on those, those guys like he's throwing a hundred. Um, so it, it's good to see his, his velocity up a little bit high already. 
hopefully it's something that's sustainable throughout the year and not just a uh it, the fact that it's starting already and and he's as short as he is with uh pitch wise um innings wise um it's definitely good to see so yeah do you guys have anything else you want to talk about tonight before we wrap it up really quick on on Tristan McKenzie um i i was absolutely stoked by his start today cuz like you said, the velocity was up. Well, in his first appearance, when he was not so sharp against Kansas City, he was throwing that fastball 91.7 miles per hour on average. He threw 35 of them. Today, he went four innings. He threw 19 of his fastballs for 94 miles an hour or faster. And at two separate occasions, his slider, which averages around 86.5, broke 90. I don't know how sustainable that's going to be over a, a long period of time. And I don't know what happened between his relief appearance, piggybacking in Kansas city and this start today, but if he's going to have that kind of ELO, he's going to be deadly. Yeah. I I'd like, to, I mean, just, I mean, just, we should recap his, his game today, four innings pitched three hits allowed, six strikeouts, no walks, uh, 50% ground ball rate. He did hit a guy. You're right about that. Uh, but that, I mean, that is, it's hard to ask for much more. Um, and it's just so weird that he alternates between a guy who just has like no idea where his, his ball is going to go. And so on who can, it seems like he can put the ball exactly where he wants to exactly where the hitter can't hit it. It's crazy how like some days he, he looks unhittable and some days, uh, it looks like guys should never swing because everything is going to be out of the strike zone. Um, yeah, hopefully we get more good Tristan. Uh, hopefully you get more fast Tristan. Uh, that would be, that would be ideal. Um, and then, you know, by the, if, if this is the guy, if this is the guy, uh, we might have something here. Yeah. It'd be nice to have, uh, he, he, he seems to be the possible number two behind Bieber going into the year. And, and the guy that we've, uh, everyone that we've talked about has, uh, projected to be the breakout. So, Hopefully that uh, remains true and uh, that he keeps that uh, uh, velocity up. All right, guys. Um, I think we're going to wrap it up now. Um, we'll get this up on the site as soon as possible. Um, thank you guys for uh, checking us out on Facebook, on YouTube Live, on uh, anything else. You can. Um, Ethan had a good uh, uh, beginning of the week ra- or beginning of the season wrap up on our uh, Waiting for Next Year's uh, site. So check that out. I will link that in the uh, notes for the podcast as we go. Uh, You guys have a great night. Take care. I'm Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcasts. 